Welcome back to the Movie Bible Podcast. This week, you've got myself, Colin, and I'm joined by Nick and Brennan as we break down the opening weekend for The Grudge, as well as our best, worst, and everything in between review of 2019. Remember, as always, you can check us out online at moviebiblereviews.com. All right, so breaking down this weekend's top five at the box office, we have Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker in the number one spot for the third week in a row uh, with $33.73 million, followed by Jumanji The Next Level in second place at $26.5 million. Little Women is in the number three spot with $13.5 million um, with only a 19% drop. Pretty impressive there. Followed by The Grudge opening up at $11.3 million and Frozen 2 rounds out the top five at 11.291 million dollars. Um, so Star Wars is still the biggest movie. I'm not going to be surprised if it is even next week, though it will have a lot more competition uh, just with 1917 is really going to compete for a lot of those premium screens. But I mean, Star Wars is making money. It's not quite the level of The Force Awakens or The Last Jedi, but it's still a very profitable movie. Yeah, it's not there's not really much to add there. It's it's doing very well, um, regardless of what we think of it. It's, it's still going to make over a billion dollars and Disney's going to be fine. So, yeah, it's it's OK. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see kind of where, uh, kind of when the next film comes out. But I think we've we've kind of said this a few times. We're hoping that they do take uh, several several years off. Yeah, um, but I mean, it's it's going to cross a billion dollars here pretty soon, so nothing to worry about there. Uh, but Jumanji: The Next Level is in the number two spot, and this is its fourth weekend at the box office. And it actually only had about a 25% drop, uh, which is pretty solid. And a lot of that is going to be holiday numbers, uh, but Jumanji is performing really well. I mean, it's at $610 million worldwide, so I don't think it's quite going to get to the almost billion-dollar level of Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, but this is a pretty solid hit nonetheless. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at this point if we hear word of a third movie coming out maybe just to close out a trilogy of some kind because it's just doing really well and it's kind of the same thing that we saw last time where uh welcome to the jungle just kind of hung around for a while just kept it it, it performed the same where the week-to-week drops were really solid and it just played all throughout january and we're probably gonna see the same thing with uh, the next level so um definitely something worth monitoring it's just it's already made what like five times its budget so it's it's doing really really well you can't complain at all if you're sony yeah, I mean, I think that we're probably getting to that territory pretty soon where they start announcing a third film. And I mean, this movie has done well, and it's it's kind of funny because, as you said, yeah, they've made about five times their budget, but they keep the budgets decently low for these Jumanji movies so far. And that kind of shows, though, the, the visual effects are sometimes a little bit uh, suspect, but for the most part... Um, I, I had a good time with the sequel. I enjoyed it. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they announce a third film pretty soon. Yeah, and they definitely leave the movie open for a third third movie um like they definitely set up a lot whereas with welcome to the jungle they didn't really know what they had on their hands and so there wasn't as much of or there just wasn't as much potential there uh but they are clearly kind of ending this movie with the door wide open for another one so i'm not going to be surprised when we get an announcement and i mean that's pretty much what's going on in the world of jumanji (laughs) um but little women is in the number three spot this weekend and again that only had about a 19 percent drop um which is just really solid Uh, part of that is due to the holidays just 
lots more time off, uh, but it's also just a testament to how well this movie is doing overall, sitting at about $80 million worldwide. Um, and it's just been a really pleasing hit uh, critically and commercially. Yeah, we haven't had a chance to really dive into this movie a lot because we took off last week. But Little Women is just so delightful. It's it's one of my favorite movies of the year. I, I published my top ten of the year on the site, which you can check out now. But it's well up there. I really love this movie, and I I'm sure we'll tackle it more in our kind of our year end discussion in a little bit. But yeah, I I really love this movie. It's great to seeing it see it do really well. And this probably means that it's poised to do something at the Oscars. I know it's been kind of overlooked slightly by voting bodies, especially the Golden Globes and everything like that. But um, I really hope that this success here kind of gives it a little late push into getting into a lot of categories. Yeah, this is big. I mean, the film's almost at 70 million worldwide now, which is which is great. Now, I mean, I think about 60 million of that is domestic alone. So it probably still has a little bit before it rolls out overseas. And this will probably do well overseas as well, especially probably in uh, the UK and some other uh, territories over there in Europe. But I think that this film is kind of going to be that late bloomer of the award season. We didn't really know uh, how it was going to do. I mean, it was kind of getting ignored, as you said, early on. But I think it's going to have quite the presence at the Oscars. And it was just kind of a matter of time. And it it was all because of that late December release that, that we didn't really see it um, kind of come to fruition earlier on. Yeah, I think Little Women's definitely going to stay in the limelight for a little while. Um, especially when you look at the movie we're going to talk about next and just kind of the tendency of January movies in terms of performance, uh, Little Women's going to have some staying power. And so with that, we will unfortunately move on to The Grudge, um, which opened up (laughs) (laughs) with an F-minus cinema score, which is almost unheard of. Uh, That just means basically nobody was satisfied watching this movie. Um, but it did open up to $11.3 million, $11. million domestically and is sitting at about $17 million worldwide. Um, and it has an estimated $10 million budget. So it probably hasn't broken even, but it's not really in flop status at this point. It's just not really going to do much. I mean, this movie is just going to kind of come and go. Yeah, count me as one of those very disappointed people watching it this weekend. Uh, <laughs> the Grudge is just really bad, um, and it's 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 bad in a way that you really can't get like super like frustrated or animated about it. It's just not a good movie, and it's it's one of those horror movies that takes that uses like low energy and like people kind of saying so- like words softly as like as like a self serious like oh this like this matters in some way. Um, but it's just it just really sucks. <laughs> it's it's really bad. Um, and this is now the the third movie that's titled The Grudge, which is just like the most confusing thing ever. We had the first Japanese movie, then the first American movie, and now this, um, which is like you would expect. It's trying to do like a little bit of a soft reboot thing where it's not quite in line with the other movies, but it definitely is. It's it's very strange what they're trying to do here. Um, but yeah, it's just. It's just a bummer because there's a lot of good people in this movie. Of Andrea Riseborough is a lead character who's a really good actress that I love and basically everything she's in. She was in Mandy last year as a, as the titular Mandy and she's really great. Um, just Jackie Weaver is in this movie who's Oscar nominated actress and just there's just a lot of good uh, just genre people in this and it's just really kind of a bummer. And even the director has made some really good movies. Uh, Nicholas uh, Pesci. I know Sean and Spencer Henderson on staff really like piercing and he's made another good movie as well. And in the eyes of my mother. Um, but yeah, I don't really know where they went wrong here. Um, it's just not good. It's just, you can't really recommend it. It's not, 
bad in a way where it it doesn't really like come together at all or it's just a hilarious mess it's just uh just kind of low energy i really wanted this movie to end one of those things where it feels like it's three hours long when it's an hour and a half <laughs> yeah it's just it's just not good you really can't recommend it in any way yeah um I really haven't heard anybody <laughs> clamoring <laughs> for anything to do with this movie. Yep. Um, and it, it's it's going to be here, and next week it's not going to be. So that's, <laughs> that's pretty much the grudge. Um, but then the top five is rounded out by Frozen 2, uh, which as of this weekend has become the second highest grossing animated movie of all time. And that's following The Lion King, which came out earlier, I guess not this year anymore, last year in uh, 2019. Uh, so Frozen is making money. It's over a billion dollar movie. Um, and it's just been a very big hit for Disney in a year where they've basically only had very big hits. Yeah, the one, I guess the one interesting thing about this movie, because it's doing really well and there's really nothing to sneeze at there, but I feel like no one really cares. And yet it's doing really well. I don't know if you guys feel similarly, but I don't, I feel like this one really hasn't like invaded like the public consciousness as much as the first Frozen did. I mean, like, I know people really like, the song into the unknown, but I don't really feel like anyone's really grabbed onto this movie, even though it's made more money than the first one. Yeah. I don't know. I yeah. mean, I think we'll have to wait and see how it does, uh, at, at award season. I think probably toy story four is probably going to take the cake at a lot of these, uh, bigger award shows. But, um, I think you're right. I think this is the film that's kind of quietly making the money that it is. And I think most of the Disney films this year have done that. I mean, Lion King is kind of, made 1.6 billion kind of in a blink of an eye. We didn't really, it didn't really do much. Um, uh, Aladdin as well was kind of a different story because we didn't know where that was going to land, but more so with the Lion King, I think it's kind of following that vein. It's, it's a film that's making a ton of money, but it's not really leaving kind of a lasting impact, kind of pulling an avatar here. Yeah. I'm going to have to agree. Other than that song into the unknown, I really can't think of any other part of this movie I've thought about in the month and a half it's been since I've seen it. Yeah, I think a lot of the reason that Frozen 2 was really successful, other than that it's the sequel to Frozen, which has just been a crazy hit, is just there hasn't been a lot of crazy competition for it in this holiday season. I mean, we had Spies in Disguise, which we probably won't talk about much, and it's a movie that's actually doing pretty okay. Um, but other than that, like, like nothing really contends with Frozen 2. Like, if you have kids, like, this is the movie you're taking them to see in all likelihood. So, yeah, it's just it's just kind of by default. It's doing really well, you know? Yeah, it's I, – I just – you know, if you, if you could possibly separate Frozen from Frozen 2, I don't think Frozen 2 would have nearly as much uh, success as we've seen um, just because I don't think it stands alone very well. But, I mean, it is Frozen 2, so it, it carries the weight of Frozen with it, and that's really helped it make an impact. So that pretty much wraps up the top five, uh, which – is really a, a very unpredictable top five for this weekend. Um, January is typically a pretty slow month, but it is a brand new year, which means uh, we wanted to talk about some of our favorite, least favorite, and just most bizarre experiences uh, watching movies over the past year. Um, and so for the rest of this podcast, we're going to be talking about all sorts of movies that we've probably talked about before, some we wish we could have talked more about. And uh, we're going to start with our most overlooked films. Um, so these are movies that we think were done really well, that we really enjoyed, uh, but there's just don't seem to be getting as much attention as some of the bigger names this year. So Brennan, if you want to take a, that one away. 
Yeah, for sure. So there's a lot of films this year that I enjoyed that are getting a lot of attention. But one that I enjoyed that is, is quite overlooked is uh, The Mustang. The Mustang was a film that I watched a while back. Um, I think back a little before summer started, I checked that one out. Matthias Schoenartz is phenomenal in this film. Um, he, he plays a person in prison who's kind of in a rehab program where he, he learns to ride horses um, kind of as a way to cope. And it's, it's a pretty interesting film. And it's a real neat kind of... Uh, peek behind the curtain at something that is is true like this is a real thing and it, it's kind of a real raw film too like you really feel the emotions there it, it doesn't always feel like you're watching a film um but he's phenomenal in this film and I, and I wish it was getting a little bit more recognition all right and then nick you have any overlooked films for this past year yeah i think mustang was a really good one because i i still haven't seen it and it was got good reviews at a sundance so i'm really actually looking forward to seeing that at some point but yeah, I had I had a few. I mean, there's one another one I saw at Sundance, uh, The Mountain, which I think is just a very bizarre film that will that I think a select few people will, will really dig. Um, it stars Ty Sheridan and uh, Jeff Goldblum. Um, I think it's just very very strange movie that I think has a lot to get at. But I know like someone who goes off who's just walking off the, like just comes into a movie theater and wants to see a movie like they will hate it. <laughs> so I can't fully recommend it to everybody. But it's really interesting. Um, other than that. Um, Clemency was a really interesting movie that I got a chance to see. It was that classic. Uh, it gets released like a day or two before the new year, just so it, like it works in award season. But um, they really like it's probably not going to win anything. So it's kind of a bummer that um, that's going to happen. But it's really good. And I, I recommend people see that. Um, but the movie I really wanted to focus on was uh, called Little Woods, which was a movie that I, I when Brennan and I discussed our mid-year favorites, it was on there for me. Uh, I really like this movie. Um, it stars Tessa Thompson and Lily James. Um, and so by those two n- names alone, I'm not quite sure why no one really knows about this movie. Um, it's just a really great drama that focuses around the two actresses in a small town called Little Woods, a fictional town. But um, and so it's right on the border. It's right on the Canadian border. Um, and it just kind of follows T- Tessa Thompson as she's on, she's on parole and she's kind of struggling to just make ends meet. And it kind of, the whole idea of the movie is how people are sort of forced to go into kind of petty crimes and things like that because of their situation and they just can't escape it. And I think it has really like urgent and interesting ideas and it and just really good performances. Um, I encourage really everyone to check it out. I don't really know why this hasn't been made a bigger deal of even by critics. I just, I don't really see anyone talking about it. It's very strange. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to say my overlooked films are going to be a little bit larger in scale. Um, <laughs> but we've got Late Night, uh, which is a movie that I really enjoyed and I thought it was just a really sincere movie about just kind of the life of a writer. Uh, that was an Amazon release. Uh, but the bigger one I want to focus on is Crawl, which is just a movie about alligators eating people. Um, <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> that's really all I want from a movie. And I think Crawl really understood why people wanted to go see crawl and it is just i think there's maybe like eight minutes of setup in the first act and then it's just straight alligator <laughs> carnage for the next 100 or an hour and 20 that's um, a good time and, that's a good time i cannot recommend it enough uh but it wasn't just a huge hit uh, but it was really satisfying yeah, it's one of those movies where it's like you get exactly what you asked for. Like it's literally everything that it, like it says it's, it said it is it says it is. It's just people getting eaten by alligators, and that's the whole movie, and it's fun. <laughs> like it's really great in that in that sense. It's like the best version of what that movie could be, you know. 
I remember when the film first came out, it had like this crazy high, like high 80s Rotten Tomato score. And I was like really taken back by that. I was like, wow, this is this could be something wild. And I think it, it was just that, that it was just so like kind of just it, it gave you exactly what, what you wanted. It was it was very upfront about what it was trying to be. And it was just a good time. And yeah, that, that's a good pick there. And uh, Little Woods as well. I remember, Nick, back uh, when you were talking about that on the mid-year kind of best of the year podcast. I'm still trying to get around to seeing it. But I mean, um, it, it sounds great for sure. Yeah, so those are um, some of our overlooked movies. So if you haven't seen those, check them out. Um, we'll move on to Guilty Pleasures. So these are movies that we probably shouldn't like as much as we do, uh, but we do anyway. And so, Nick, I'll let you go ahead and take the lead on this one. <laughs> um, so um, one of them was uh, one of them was Last Christmas. I'm going to get this one out of the way because the other one I want to talk about is more fun. Um, but Last Christmas, um, the Paul Feig movie that came out, uh, the way too early Christmas movie that came out early November, um, just it's one of the most baffling twists like ever, like it's just really stupid and you see it coming the whole way. Like everything, everybody that everything that everybody was guess, guessing from the trailers, like it's true. Um, and if no one's seen the trailer, I won't spoil for it here, but it's really stupid, but I just really like Amelia Clark and Henry Golding and they're just really just charming and dashing together. I just like seeing them do things in movies. Uh, so like, even though that this movie doesn't really make a whole ton of sense, I just kind of liked watching them. Um, so that's kind of that one there. But the one I really want to talk about is the fanatic, uh, which is, <laughs> kind of already becoming a cult classic in a lot of circles where, so if you don't know, it's the uh, John Travolta uh, starring vehicle uh, directed by Fred Durst, the lead man of Limp Bizkit. Um, and it's basically just um, John Travolta is a very obsessive fan who's probably on the spectrum in some way. Um, and he's just really obsessed with like this, the genre actor who's, I guess a good comparison to him would probably be like a Bruce Campbell type. Um, but he's just really obsessed with them. Then he just kind of starts getting more obsessed and he breaks into his house at some points. Um, but it's just, it's the perfect blend of um, John Travolta being a really hammy performer uh, with bad to kind of like despicable material. And then a director who just like has no idea what to do with what he wrote <laughs> or just what, what he dealt with in pre-production. Um, it's just like, all of, all the pictures you see in John Travolta's haircut is ridiculous. He's wearing like these mismatched, um, mismatched shorts and Hawaiian shirts the whole movie, and he's just he's playing up all of like the um, like the auti- like the autistic uh, points of his character. Like they're just so comical. Like he's always rocking back and forth in his seat, and he's hilariously looking down at the ground. And he, his first line of the movie is, um, "I can't talk long. I got to poop." <laughs> so so that's just kind of the movie you're getting into it's it's really like it's the funniest bad movie of the year um there's one scene where he's an english bobby on hollywood boulevard and he's like oh the the eiffel tower was over there and he's doing an awful british accent it's it's something uh, it's really hilarious. <laughs> I encourage everyone to see it because it's insane that, and it's on netflix too so that's just going to add to that cult following I didn't even realize it was on Netflix. That's incredible. Yeah, everyone, it's on Netflix. Everyone go see this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so those are Nick's guilty pleasures. And then, Brennan, <laughs> if you want to <laughs> talk about yours. Um, so first one I'm going to throw in here is uh, Alita Battle Angel. Um, I'm not in the Alita Army, I swear. I, uh, I promise. I promise. Um, but I will say I had fun with this film, and I think that it, it pushes the boundaries 
it pushes the PG-13 boundaries and some of it's kind of uh, more fantasy violence, and I really appreciated that. Obviously, that happens because, I mean, you got Robert Rodriguez as the director. I mean, he's got kind of a track record with that. But I just enjoyed this film. I thought there was quality world building in it. But for me, like, I can see the flaws in the storytelling. I can see how kind of batshit crazy it can be at times, and maybe that takes away from its overall quality. But I enjoyed this movie when I watched it, and the visual effects are are quite uh, quite quite good as well. Uh, moving on from that, yesterday, yesterday is a movie that I I thought I would love, and then uh, I remember the reviews came out; they were kind of all right, so I, I kind of lost uh, interest in it. But then when I saw it, you know, that interest came back. I enjoyed this film; I had a good time with it. But sometimes you just need to sit back and let kind of a couple leads um, just just have this kind of gushy rom com that's kind of cliche and. Sometimes you just got to watch those and enjoy them. And that was yesterday for me this year. I just had a good time with that film. And Brightburn, oh my, you know, this is a film that I didn't I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I just thought it was good. I mean, it, it's on my guilty pleasures for the simple fact that that kid is uh, creepy. And uh, some of the kill scenes were absolutely um, awesome. I mean, they were working with such a small budget. There's one scene in there. I, I'm not going to give it away, but I don't know if you guys have seen the film. But there's one scene. It has to do with a car. And there's a... Uh, um, certain character from uh he, he plays a part in breaking bad as well i mean there's there's something that happens in that scene that made me go wow they uh what they're doing with a tiny budget here is is quite special it's just a fun watch for me i enjoyed it yeah that moment's really great <laughs> it's really good it's like one yeah, of the best, it's one of the best like probably gore moments of the year i don't, I also don't want to spoil it it's really good yeah i'm and i'm gonna talk about this movie a little bit later on but yeah the the visual effects and what they were able to do on such a small budget um is just crazy uh, and really enjoyable um but i'll move on to my guilty pleasure films um so actually i had quite a few like i think it was a very okay year overall um so i have something like blinded by the light that just kind of blasts springsteen music at you and i think it has enough heart to really kind of work on its own um loved that one uh, Zombieland, I thought was just as fun and irrelevant as the first one. So definitely, uh, I know it wasn't as loved as the first, but I loved it just the same. Uh, but my real guilty pleasure film is a little movie called The Good Liar, and it's, uh, <laughs> we're still waiting on the Good Liar spoiler pod. <laughs> it's, a, it's an old person movie, um, but I dug the trailers, and then I went and saw it, and it's just it's one of the most bizarre just what am I watching movies out there? Um, like you, you see the, the big twist coming from a mile away and then they just kind of throw all this information at you in the last 20 minutes. And you're like, what the hell is happening? Um, so it's, it's, a, it's not a bad movie, but it is a good watch. Um, and I, <laughs> I'm probably going to watch it again when it comes out on DVD. That's a good way to put it. Um, so moving on from that, we'll go to favorite films of the year. These are movies that we either thought they were really well made or they just connected with us. Um, but for whatever reason, these are towards the top of our list and we got the most out of these. So um, I'm going to take that one. And so I'm going to go in uh, reverse order. So my number three movie was Endgame just because, I mean, it's massive. It's something I've been watching for, you know, 11 years. And I mean, how could you not enjoy this movie? Uh, there's just so much spectacle to it. It's It's a good popcorn movie. Um, and then my number two was Uncut Gems, which I'm sure I'll let you guys talk a little bit more on. Uh, but it's a movie that I've seen it twice now, and I have a need to go see it again because there's just so much to <laughs> unpack there. I mean, Sandler's just 
firing on all cylinders and the the pressure in that movie's up until 11 uh, up to 11 the entire time uh, but my favorite movie this year was a beautiful day in the neighborhood which was the tom hanks biopic uh, which i thought was going to be a, a very adequate movie um, going in because unfortunately when you see a lot of movies like this uh, it's pretty predictable follows kind of the same formula and style but what really impressed me with this movie was the direction of it. They do a lot of really inventive things, um, especially when it comes to screen transitions and scene transitions, um, as well as just how they use silence in the movie um, and how they really kind of embody Mr. Rogers with this movie and just all the attention to detail. And they meticulously recreated the set and they even used the same cameras uh, that they used to film the original Mr. Rogers to film the TV show segments in the movie. And there's just such a passion for the person and that just translated and connected incredibly well with me. Uh, so for that reason, beautiful day in the neighborhood is my number one for 2019. That's solid. Yeah. That's good. Uh, beautiful day. I mean, I really enjoyed that one. I'll, I'll kind of segue into mine now. Um, they're not kind of ranked here. I just kind of threw three up here and uh, I have little women delightful film. I'll let, um, Nick talk about that a little bit more afterwards, but that's a, that's a super delightful film, really enjoyable. I didn't know how much I was going to like it. I knew I'd like it, but it blew me away. I mean, this film is just great. I had a, like the first hour. I mean, I had a smile on my face. I just couldn't get rid of it. It's, it's awesome. Uncut gems is also on there for me. I saw it back at TIFF in September, loved it, saw it again, uh, about two weeks ago. Um, oh my goodness. This is, this is a fantastic movie. I mean, the Safdie brothers, in my opinion, uh, perfected everything from good time, took it to the next level. What a film. Um, the Irishman is the other one I have there. I, I just love what this film is, what it stands for, the legacy, but also more than that, I think it's just a phenomenal narrative as well. And by the time you really get to that third act, which I think is a magnificent third act, I mean, I'm just feeling that th this is a, this is a great film overall and one that I'll definitely revisit. Yeah, that's a really good pick. Irishman's really good. It was in my honorable mentions of the top ten of my top five movies of the year. Um, and with that, I also just published my favorite movies of the year, which you can read now on the site. Another shameless plug for you. Um, but my number one was Uncut Gems. It's just incredible. It just everything about it, kind of what Brendan meant. I want to echo that as well. It's just crazy balls to the wall. Adam Sandler. It's probably my favorite performance by him. I'm certainly up there with the Meyerwood stories and punch Drunk love. It's just insane. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in the weeks to come as well, but it's just crazy good. And then marriage story. I feel like everyone's talked about this movie a ton. It's just incredible. Uh, I love it. Just I wouldn't, I don't really have a, any fault in it. I think we'll talk about it in another category as well. Um, but the movie I really wanted to focus on was uh, also little women. Cause I've watched it twice already on, on screeners and I just, I want to watch it again really soon because it is just so wonderful. And I just love Greta Gerwig so much because her, my favorite scenes from her are just like people talking, which is just like the most like incredible thing. And so many movies can learn from that because people are just bouncing off each other and they're just goofing on each other. And I think one of my favorite scenes of the year is when, um, in little woman, when they're all just in the attic talking and then there's a fun little surprise in there. It's just, it's hilarious. And it's just some of our best, actors and actresses just like like hamming it up really fun and being really delightful um this movie is just kind of like a warm blanket through and through um i just love it so much i'm gonna watch it over and over again um and it's just i'm incredible like you've well, Greta Gerwig followed up like probably one of the best movies of the decade and ladybird with another one of the best movies of the decade um yeah little woman is just incredible i love it so much 
Yeah, so those are our favorite films of 2019, and we'll move on to our most well-made films. So these are movies that uh, may or may not have been our favorites, but from a craftsmanship side, these are the top of what 2019 had to offer. Um, so I'll let Brennan start because Nick and I have uh, pretty similar choices for this one. Um, so I got two here. One of them I want to quickly throw in. There's Apollo 11. Oh, my goodness. What a wonderfully crafted documentary. I mean, it's a great theater experience. I'm taking that right out of uh, Nick's top 10 list. He said it's hey. one of the best one of the best <laughs> theater experiences of the year. And damn right it is. The film's edited so well. It puts together all this footage so well. I remember seeing it way back early in the year, and I still remember everything from it. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. And um uh, it, it's just a great, great watch. Uh, very well-made documentary. Parasite is my other pick. Um, Parasite is one of my favorite films of the year, definitely. But I think it's just such a well-made film. I think uh, Bong Joon-ho directs this film with such um, such prowess. What he did and, and the way that he's able to balance so many different tones, he can turn up the uh, knob on Thriller when he needs to. The film is uh, hilarious at times. It's also just a great family drama. I, I love this movie, and I think it's the most well-made film of the year. Yeah, any other director who has that in their hands, that's just a mess. So, I, yeah, it's just crazy good job by Bong Joon-ho. But from there, I guess we'll kind of, Colin and I will transition to our our two favorites, which is Marriage Story. Um, it's just, it's my, it's number two for me, favorites of the year. I just, I can't really find a fault in it. I think it's incredible. Just everything from uh, Adam Driver singing Being Alive, which is one also one of my favorite uh, movie scenes of the year, to... Scarlett Johansson kind of just like crying her eyes out in um in Laura Dern's office and as the lawyer um, it's just it's just really moving at all times I think it's probably gonna win the the best screenplay um Oscar if I had to put any money on it it's just really tightly written it it's really good at kind of looking at both sides of this relationship and um yeah it's just like it's just one of those movies where you're like oh yep this is great <laughs> it's there's really nothing you can really say bad about it in my mind yeah, it's just a very well fine-tuned movie, um, and it just it's hitting on all levels, um, you know, from cinematography to the performances to the writing, and I think it it really helps you kind of track Noah Baumbach as a director and just you know how far he's come. So this is kind of his second take on divorce following the Squid and the Whale um, in twenty fifth or two thousand five. Um, so obviously he's grown a lot as a person then and kind of been through a divorce of his own, but. You see how he's just kind of honed in on what he wants to take from that topic and and really just presented it pretty immaculately, in my opinion. Um, kind of like you said, it's hard to find anything that that doesn't work in this movie just because it it works so well. Yeah, and it's it's a really interesting uh, comp to um, the Squid and the Whale because that movie is really angry and bitter towards all those characters. It really just kind of uh -huh. hates everybody involved, and it's just really just frust. It's just really frustrated with the world, and this movie is. Um, it's, there's definitely some anger in there, but it has, it's really tempered down and it has, it's really thoughtful about those feelings as well and why we feel them. And that's kind of like the point of the whole movie there. And it's really good. And just one last thing, there's just Randy Newman's score is just incredible and it gets better every time you watch it. It really sinks in and it kind of, it really is kind of the driving force of that movie and all the feelings that you get out of it. So it's just, yeah, it's just, it's fine tuned. Like you said, it's spot on, just really great, just great stuff. Yeah, I've uh, actually listened to that, like listened to his score a couple times since watching the movie, and it just it hits. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's between that and Alexander Desplat's score for Little Women. Yeah, it's those two are just unbelievable. 
Yeah, Randy Newman's actually had quite the year with uh, Toy Story and then moving on to Marriage Story. Lots lots of stories from Randy, <laughs> Randy Newman this year. <laughs> Toys and Marriage Story. Just all a bunch of them. <laughs> um, so with that, we're going to uh, can our praise for a little bit and go on to our most overrated films. So these are movies that seem to be getting just kind of praised um, pretty much everywhere, uh, but that we just didn't feel the same way. Uh, so I'm going to start with mine, um, and those are both going to be superhero movies. Uh, so the first one, probably no surprise to uh, the other people in this group, uh, is Joker. Um, I think Joker is beautifully shot, and I think it's very entertaining. So overall, I would say it's a good movie just because you can get a little more grim but not really have to put any thought into it. And it also just is, is beautifully shot. Um, but there's no substance here. And the problem is you have people that only watch, you know, like Spider-Man movies that are like, oh, this is just so deep and dark. And, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Todd Phillips just cracked open the human condition. Um, it, it's, a, it's a good movie for people that don't watch a lot of good movies. Um, and for that reason, it's my most overrated. My uh, runner up is Spider-Man Far From Home, which I thought was entertaining, but I didn't really come away with any uh, anything from it those are two good picks two good picks there uh so that uh nick if you want to take it away with yours yeah so mine is 1917 which i don't think either of you have seen yet and i'm sure you'll see it this week um but i just don't get it um it's making a lot of like afi and all these like national uh border review it's making like it's like the best film of the year and um, I just don't see it. Um, I wrote about this in my review uh, for it. it. It really strikes me as that really like technically sound movie that we all forget about in a couple of years, um, kind of like Life of Pi or any of these other movies that have won Best Picture. Um, I, it's, it's very gimmicky in a way, and I'm sure that's going to be like the big word that people use and when they kind of go against this movie. Um, but there's a lot of like little like touches in here that meet that like the timeline of this this mission doesn't really make sense to me where to like the two uh, soldiers on the mission say like they reckon that this, it'll take about like six to eight hours to get to where they're going. Um, and the movie plays basically plays out in real time and they get there in like two hours. So, I mean, there's just like little stuff like that. And like, just like, like little things with time that they don't really add up, but they're trying to make it look as beautiful as possible. Um, and I think to a lot of people that will let this movie wash over them, they'll get a really good experience out of it. But um, other than like the stock war is hell, kind of thing which a lot of war movies kind of just use and default to and what they're and what they're kind of exploring um i just don't really get anything out of this except that roger deakins is just a god in terms of cinematography and sam mendes is a really smart crafty director um i just don't really get much out of this movie and i'm i'm already forgetting a lot of it because it just doesn't stick with me at all um, I'll go with mine now, and this is kind of a nervous one. I know you guys both enjoyed it. Uh, it's Knives Out. I, I did like this movie. I had fun with this movie. I thought it was a good time, but I just don't I, I just don't think it's like one of the best films of the year. I mean, it's getting praised across the board. A lot of people love it. I mean, it's not obviously getting the awards praise of some of these other bigger awards movies, but um, it's still getting kind of a lot of people in the online kind of film community really speaking out about it wanting it to get all that sort of praise i think it's a good movie it's a fun movie i really did enjoy it but i think it was messy at times and i i left not really um, I, I don't know I, it just didn't hit me like like it hit everyone else but i still had a decent time with it uh sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah Brennan, you were actually 
<laughs> Brennan, you're now banished from this podcast. <laughs> it's fun. No, it's, it's, a, it's a fun movie, a fun cast. It's a, it's a fun movie with a fun cast. Uh, it's a good time, but it's just, to me, it's just not, it's not this mind-blowing um, whodunit, in my opinion. So before I excommunicate Brennan, um, <laughs> I do kind of want to actually echo a little bit what he said. So the first time I saw it, I really felt the same way. Um, but I will say this is a movie that definitely rewards and warrants kind of a second viewing. Uh, so I went in and saw it again a couple of weeks after it came out and just my opinion of it went up so much higher uh, just because it is one of those movies that once you've seen it and you kind of know what's coming, you can appreciate everything else about the movie. Um, so I'm yeah, it's, it's a movie that uh, I think will have a lot of longevity for me personally. Okay, maybe I'll give it another watch. I'll let you know. <laughs> you can come back after you've seen it. All right. <laughs> um, so with that, we'll move on to the worst films of 2019, uh, which I'm sure we'll all have some predictable ones, but also have some uh, some movies you've probably never heard of, uh, probably because they are the worst movies of 2019. Uh, so Brennan, if you want to take that one away. Um, so I got two here i'll start with the first one the popular one one that i'm surprised you guys didn't put down cats cats is probably going to sweep the razzies do you know why the razzies aren't going to nominate films that are bad and unpopular the razzies are going to pop nominate films that are bad and very popular and cats is the one um this film is just i don't know how it's even real uh so that's that's one of my picks there um the other one is sex tuplets the uh uh netflix original marlon wayans comedy i mean i remember back in the day he did um uh a lot of like pretty raunchy out there comedies. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember Little Man. I do nope. not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, he essentially just plays like a baby. Um, it, it, I don't know. I just remember as a kid, I watched that a lot. Um, <laughs> probably shouldn't have, but um, now uh, I see this. I'm like, oh, let's check it out. You know, this is one of the weirdest movies ever. He plays like six different people. Um, it's it's so bad, but it, it's so bad, it's good. Like, you can laugh the whole time at how stupid it is. Um, as I said, it's a Netflix original. Marlon Wayans, go check it out. <laughs> or don't. Or don't. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> that movie's terrible. <laughs> Same with Cats. Um, I didn't. I deliberately didn't put it down on my picks here because I knew someone else was going to pick it. Because <laughs> it's, just, it's just the most holy shit thing of the year. Um, so I guess I'll move into mine. Um, there's a couple ones I just wanted to mention really quick. Um, the Haunting of Sharon Tate is my least uh, favorite movie of the year um, up, up on the site. It's just it's just really bad. I can't recommend it at all. It's just it's just it's not really fun to talk about bad. It's just just kind of exploiting uh, Sharon Tate's death for just a really bad horror movie. And it's just it's just really off putting and not good. Um, Unplanned is the other one that's just not good. It's also not really fun to talk about. It's just a, it's just a pro-life movie that just really fetishizes just like the blood and everything in abortion. It's, it's, it's just a really bad way to make an argument. And it's just really dirty and gross. And I just, that movie's also just not fun to talk about. Um, the movie I want to talk about is probably a movie that neither of you have heard of. It's called Berlin. I love you. Um, which is just, it's so I'll unpack it a little bit here. It's, it's basically like, I don't even know how many it's like, like a bunch of, like vignettes a bunch of short uh stories kind of put together which is it's all supposed to like culminate in like this like love letter to berlin um very strange so in one of the short stories is kira knightley and helen mirren um and another one is mickey rourke um luke wilson is there for a second um jim, jim sturgis is in another one um there's famous people in this movie but this thing is batshit insane 
Um, so I'll just go through two of my favorite um, choices here. So the first short of the of the film is a guy who just went through a bad breakup and he basically just wants to go kill himself. So he gets he gets a new car and he's gonna he's gonna drive it off of the bridge. And as he's doing it, the bridge the car stops him and it basically turns into Kit from Knight Rider. <laughs> so it just starts talking to him. And it shuts it shuts down the car, and then so he doesn't kill himself, and then it weirdly the car like rehabilitates him, like it breathes like new meaning into his life, and then he gets happy, um, and then he gives the car to someone else, like it's supposed to be like a thing that like people get when they're depressed, um, and that's the end of the, that short. That's it. <laughs> that's the that's how the movie that's how the movie starts. Oh, wow. um, and and then other, another one is um, the one it's probably the most unsettling one um, with starring Mickey Rourke. Uh, I'm just going to spoil this one because you shouldn't see this movie. Um, so he's at he's, there's this really attractive uh, blonde, really young girl goes to a bar, a hotel bar. And Mickey Rourke immediately starts hitting on her, just like in the gross way, in the most gr- gross ways possible. Just like, hey, baby. And you're like, oh, this is gross. So it's a documentary. <laughs> oh, my God, it's gold. Uh, so, yes, basically a documentary. Uh, so Mickey Rourke um, is talking to this girl. Um, and it's just being really gross. And the girl's like, oh, you have no chance. And then and he's like, ah, come on, I'm, I'm fun. And then like, weirdly, like they start talking about like his estranged daughter, um, that he just misses and that like kind of endears her, um, him to her. Uh, so she's like, all right, I'll let you have sex with me. So they go to his room. Um, they like kiss and then she's like, I don't want to do this anymore. And he's like, okay, we'll just go to sleep. And the next morning he wakes up, um, and he goes to the bathroom. The girl's not there. And on the, and on the uh, mirror, it says, I love you, daddy. Uh, so the girl was his daughter the whole time. And it's just the most insane thing I've ever seen. Um, it is preposterous <laughs> and gross. But, um, and, and I just don't understand what was happening. They, they <laughs> really that, thought they did something there. <laughs> they really did. And then and then the short's over. And that's it. Um, so the, in a nutshell, that is Berlin, I love you. It's just a couple of baffling shorts. Uh, the one with Kira Knightley and Helen Mirren isn't bad. It's probably the most tolerable of all of them um they get out of this fine there's one with luke wilson where he just like stops um (laughs) he just stops in the middle of berlin watches a puppet show and he's like wow in the like the luke wilson way like in the fake owen wilson way he's just like wow you really like connected with all these kids man like how do you do it (laughs) and it's just like them talking for five minutes and then it's over it was like clearly they just got luke wilson for like two two days or like a couple hours to like film something um yeah so Berlin, I love you. <laughs> that is my review. <laughs> it's it's insane. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, <so> Stop that. <laughs> I have uh, two worst of films, and one of them I'm gonna really lay into a little bit later on, and that's Star Wars. Uh, so I won't I won't talk about that a whole lot, other than it's a major disappointment. Uh, but my worst film of 2019 was Godzilla: King of the Monsters, and I I didn't go into this movie with very high expectations or any expectations at all. And somehow it didn't even hit that. Um, it was just complete garbage for basically two and I think a quarter, two and a half hours. Um, uh, just, if it was just a movie about Godzilla, like breathing plasma lightning and other monsters for that amount of time, I would have been completely <laughs> on board with everything. But unfortunately there's these annoying things called human characters that are just, Everywhere in the movie, just being as cliched and un- uninspired as they can be uh, with like just some really bizarre like plot about um, like 
bio echo location to talk to the monsters and uh vera farmiga like wants to start a monster culling so she can restart the world because godzilla stepped on her son and Millie bobby brown is just like <laughs> in there because she was in stranger things and charles dance is also starting a monster war but for different reasons and <laughs> i was just so bored by everything that was going on but not even the uh, monster fights could really do it for me. Um, and there's specifically one that takes place in Antarctica where the editing is just really bizarre. Um, the whole time the fight was on, I was like, why did they make these choices where you really, you can't see the monsters for most of the fight. Um, there's a point in it where a main character is killed and you don't realize it until two minutes later when they flash a giant picture of that main character saying deceased. <laughs> um and it just yeah this movie is just a complete wreck and just like the uh the only real high point is kind of the final monster fight and even that just felt really underwhelming after all the lead up um i, I was just could not care less about this movie when i walked out uh, this was one of the few times in theaters where i was actively checking my watch i was like how much longer do i have of this and, uh, <laughs> That's Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Hey, Colin, uh, it looks great on Blu-ray, by the way. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I do have the Blu-ray, but it's just because I'm committed to my, uh, I'm committed to my Godzilla collection. Can't give up now, no matter how bad it is. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about a movie later on in my list that I own the Blu-ray for that same reason. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to embarrass myself yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's Godzilla, um, and from that we'll move on to a slightly different category, and that's going to be our favorite character of the year. Uh, so these are character from any movie that we really liked or connected with, or just put them at the top for whatever reason. So um, I'll let yeah, you take that one away, Dick. I am very excited about this one. <laughs> so I chose because I, I met I I was thinking about Cliff Booth, and I figured someone else would choose that, and. Um, they did, so spoiler alert there. Um, but my favorite character of the year is Moondog. Um, that is Matthew McConaughey in The Beach Bum. Um, the Beach Bum, I am still the only person that loves this movie, and that's totally fine. Um, I was in my top ten of the year. I love it. It's absurd. Um, but it's basically Matthew McConaughey reaching his final form. as uh, just like this wasteoid, just beach dweller who lives in the Keys, and he's just just drinking like just gallons of PBR every day and just smoking just like mountains of weed with Snoop Dogg um, the whole time. Um, and it's basically the movie, um, as I explained many months ago, it's just basically just him going, it's vignette, vignette, him just kind of going and meeting other eccentric characters. Um, but what I really love about this movie is that it's directed by Harmony Korine and Spring Breakers and Gummo and all these kind of movies about really gross people um, that he's kind of interested in, but also repulsed by. Um, but the, he he shoots Moondog. He really likes Moondog, and this movie never really judges his choices, which I found weirdly refreshing. And it's almost like a really humane experience because basically the movie plays out like he's already reached his happy ending before the movie started. Um, so there, he's not going to change, and that's kind of the point where he's he's reached some kind of point of inner happiness that we all kind of look for. And it's it's weirdly inspiring, even though he's just like just kind of like a nothing of a person. <laughs> um, so um, it's just, it's really hilarious. Um, he's just really profane and gross the whole time. And it's just really funny. It's just what, like, it's the most ideal, like thing that you, when you would expect Matthew McConaughey to be like just a bum, like this is it. Um, so yeah, it's just incredible. It's just, it's really insane. Hilarious. Uh, I just really loved it. 
That's a good one. That's a good pick there. <laughs> staying true to uh, staying true to yourself. I, I appreciate. I that. ride for the beach bum. It's yeah. one of my favorite movies of the year. I'm gonna I'm gonna die on beach bum island. I don't care. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> you and Matthew McConaughey and all the rest. Um, <laughs> um, my pick here. I'm gonna keep it short and sweet. Cliff Booth. Um, Brad Pitt just plays this character to a T. I mean, this is a performance where Brad Pitt's able to absolutely just show off his star power and charisma. And Cliff Booth, man. What a badass. I mean, what a guy. This is this is a character that um, it's, it's just so much fun to watch. And, and while Leo has uh, a much more showy performance, Brad Pitt stole the show for me. And it, it's definitely because of the character uh, Quentin Tarantino created here. Cliff Booth, he's he's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go with uh, Marta Cabrera from Knives Out. Um, and she really stuck with me just because I didn't really expect her to be the main character in this movie. Um, like she was, I mean, she was in the promotion a little bit, uh, but they kept her pretty under wraps. And then she is pretty much the main character in Knives Out. And I thought she was just a really interesting kind of nuanced character as you really track all the themes that Ryan Johnson is is preaching at through her as a character. And it's also, she's also played by Ana de Armas, who I'm in love with. So that, <laughs> that doesn't hurt anything. Um, but yeah, I thought she just, brought a lot of depth to that movie and helped kind of elevate it for more than just a whodunit to something that really explores a lot of those nuanced ideas that Ryan Johnson is really known for. So Marta is my number one. That's a good pick too. She's, she stole the show for that film. Definitely. Most definitely. Um, And so kind of tying into that, we'll move on to our favorite or best for performances for the year. Um, So these are actors or actresses that just kind of wowed us with what they did. Um, and I'm pretty sure we're going to have some similarities on these lists as well. So, Nick, if you want to take that one away. Yeah, um, I just wanted to briefly mention Florence Pugh because she had herself a year with Little Women and Midsommar and Fighting With My Family. Just three really distinct performances that are all great. So just great on her and her and Little Woman. is just like the greatest thing ever. And I hope she wins Best Supporting. Um, but I think two I really wanted to focus on here, um, Antonio Banderas and Pain and Glory. Um, it, it's just really beautiful what he does. Um, and there's a couple moments in that film where it's just kind of the mo- one of the few of the more beautiful things I saw in the movies this year, even though I don't quite love Pain and Glory as much as everyone else does, but really good there. Um, the main one I want to talk about, um, just, just to kind of mention her because she's incredible, is Elizabeth Moss and her smell. Um, it's... I had to stop this movie probably like halfway through just because it gave me so much anxiety. (laughs) I just needed to break. Um, So it's basically, um, if you don't know her smell, it's basically following Elizabeth Moss. She's kind of a Courtney Love type where she's a headliner of like a a grunge-ish band and she's really into drugs. And the first scene you see her, she's like, she's trying to do like kind of like a weird little seance before she goes on screen, like goes on stage. Like she's just totally out of her mind on drugs and everything. And it's just... You're just watching her just like go worse and worse, and um, it's just really tough to watch. It's like the bad version of Adam, the Adam Sandler not cut gems in the way where it's just like I'm not getting this isn't entertaining at all, but it's just really uncomfortable. <laughs> um, so it's just really great. And there's a few scenes where she's singing and she's a really good singer. Um, she totally ho- holds her own. Um, yeah, it's just it's really it's really rough and there's a lot of layers to it. And I hope people check out that movie as well because it's a great movie. Um, it's just it's terrific. 
Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely, that's another one on the top of my list of movies to catch up on kind of here before uh, we get to the Oscars. Um, but my my picks for my favorite or best performances of the year, uh, first one I got to go with is Adam Sandler. Obviously, he was phenomenal at Uncut Gems. I was thinking of putting his character, Howard Ratner, as my favorite character, but I mean, I couldn't resist Cliff Booth. Um, <laughs> but Adam Sandler there, we'll put him there. Lupita Nyong'o, I mean, us hasn't really stuck with me as a film since March when it came out. Um, I still love some elements of that movie. There's a great score, great vibes throughout the film, but it hasn't really stuck with me the whole year. But her performance is absolutely stuck with me. I mean, she she plays two different characters in this film, and she does a phenomenal job uh, with that. She is great. She's wonderful. And I'm actually loving kind of uh, how well she's doing in award season. It's one of the biggest surprises for me so far. I didn't think she'd hang on but she did and she's she's uh, doing great so far um taron edgerton i mean i gotta throw him in there because i think he was phenomenal obviously as elton john i love the arc in this film and he's just wonderful i mean he plays him so well but i gotta shout him out just because last year we saw remy malik win best actor and i, I thought he was great but i thought taron edgerton was just as good if not better um and, and i just hate that he's getting overlooked because it is a very heavy year for best actor very heavy year very stacked year but he is just phenomenal. And the fact that he actually sings in this film, I think that just puts him over the top. And that's a performance that uh, is, for me, one of the best of the year. Yeah. And for me, I'm going to go with uh, David Harbour in Hellboy. Just... <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. So I'm uh, just shout out to Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story. Um, you know, she gets kind of a bad rap for some of her comments about. Uh, playing characters of different races, but she is a really talented actor um, and we don't get to see that a ton in her marvel movies uh, but with marriage story she really brought everything she had to the table and i think she's part of why it's such a well-made and just finely crafted movie um, and i do want to shout out to taron edgerton as well uh, just because rocket man just completely wowed me he's uh, kind of like you mentioned with remy malik there's been a lot of comparisons there but he seems to really be playing his own portrayal of Elton John. And I think that really helps elevate the movie above what Raimi was able to do in Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, but my top one is Adam Sandler. Um, Uncut Gems just completely blew me away. And he's part of it. Um, just all the work he put into the role. And I listened to a Director's Guild podcast uh, with the Safties. They were talking about all the prep he did and just like how, how long he shadowed um, actual jewelers in the Diamond District and got ready and really put himself in Howard's shoes. Um, he just floored me with every minute of that movie. Yeah, I, I feel like I haven't been talking a lot about Uncut Gems because I kind of wanted everyone else to talk about it. But yeah, it's my favorite movie of the year and it's just iconic stuff by Adam Sandler. Like Howard Ratner is just a character that I'll always be thinking about for a really long time. Um, and it's just, it kind of makes me hate Adam Sandler a little more because it's like, this is what you're capable of and you do murder mystery. Um, <laughs> which I, I don't know. It's, it's, I give him a lot of credit because you can, because I feel like all of us would take like millions of dollars just go on a vacation with their friends. <laughs> there's, oh, yeah. there's, but I don't know. It's just, it's just really awesome stuff. The Safties are the kings of the crime movie. I, I, yeah, it's just insane. I can't get enough of it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uncut Gems is really, something else I, I think it's one of one of the movies this decade that will really stand the test of time this is like this was a really kind of defining cinematic moment um and i think we'll look back at it kind of similar to how we do taxi driver um or you know big movies um that that have stood out decades past and so with that we'll move on to our best box office hits so these were movies that were blockbusters uh, made a ton of money that we couldn't get enough of 
Um, so I'll let um, actually I'll I'll take the lead on that one because I I share this movie with somebody else, um, and that's Endgame. Uh, so Marvel has been something I've been watching since what 2008, um, and to see it all come together so satisfactorily. And I don't know if that's a word, um, but just to see it all come together the way it did, especially in a year, um, like I think this was either two weeks before or two weeks after Game of Thrones ended and just completely fell on its face. And to see something that's this big that had this many balls in the air just come together in such a spectacular way uh, really floored me. It's got a ton of rewatch value because there's just so many epic moments in it that it's it's good mindless entertainment that has enough heart to really get you invested yeah, you know what? This is a film that the Russo brothers, obviously, they 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 did a great job of just handling all these kind of moving parts with Infinity War and then Endgame. But the weird thing about this film was that, like, throughout the year, I was just waiting for a movie to come out and really floor me more than Endgame did. And I was like, you know, there's got to be something else out there. And while it's not my favorite film of the year, fi- sorry, favorite film of the year, it is up there. It's not quite at the top, though. There are a few above it. It's a film that I always think of, and I, I just I just love the movie. I mean, it it made me laugh so many times. It obviously hits the right emotional beats. I mean, it's, it's emotional at times for sure. The action's great. And all the fan service in that film absolutely pays off. And it, it feels so earned. Unlike the rise of Skywalker, it feels all the fan service there is just absolutely a wash. It's awful in Endgame, It feels so earned. And, um, it's, it's just one of those, one of those great ones that it's, it's so neat to see this kind of the world come together behind that film, such a neat kind of phenomenon that went, went on this year. So that's my kind of best box office, uh, hit of the year. Yeah. For me, um, I've talked about this movie a lot just over the year. It's just John Wick three. Um, it's, it has Keanu Reeves shooting people in the face while on a horse. Um, that's like, that's all you need in a movie. Like what else is there? Like he fights like dudes from the raid. Like it's just, it's just incredible stuff. Like the first 30 minutes are probably like some, like probably my favorite like sequence of the year where he's, he fights, uh, Boban, who is a former Sixers player that is just the really tall hulking dude in the library. It's hilarious seeing that. Um, it's just like, it's just amazing. I love it. (laughs) There's really nothing much more to say. It's just a great thing. Yeah. I've said it before, but the first 30 minutes of that movie are my favorite 30 minutes of any movie ever. Um, like, it's just so much <laughs> insane stuff going on. And, like, he kills people with a horse. Um, like, yeah, he kills the other guy with a book. Like, there's just so much craziness going on. And you just see how much they've upped the intensity since the first one. Um, that the John Wick 3 is definitely a top movie of the year for me. Yeah, and they just keep getting better and better, and the budget gets higher. I mean, it just really makes me excited for four, just because they're gonna probably pump more money into it. And I don't know, maybe he starts doing crazy Fallout stunts where he's Halo jumping. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he's Halo jumping while on a horse, shooting people. Yep. <laughs> sure, <laughs> I'm here for it. Um, and I mean, it is a very. It's probably my favorite dog movie of the year. Uh, which actually takes us to our next category, which is the <laughs> worst dog movie of the year. Uh, because every year's got some dog movies. Most of the time they're duds. So, Brennan, I'll let you take it away with your uh, worst dog movie of the year. All of them. Uh, I'm going to say all of them. I mean, this is like, what, what's going on? What has happened to cinema? Um <laughs> Martin Scorsese over here, jeez. <laughs> I haven't even I haven't even watched them all, but I'm going to say all of them just for the simple fact that I think we had five different dog movies this year uh maybe four four or five different dog movies this year i think there were like three in the span of like six months the first half of the year there 
there. Um, oh my goodness, when will it end? And they're all like the same too, man. I mean, I, I hear the, I haven't seen it yet, but it just dropped on Disney Plus, Togo, I think it's called, with Willem Dafoe. Apparently that's pretty good. It has pretty good reviews, but um, otherwise, uh, I'm, I'm just going to go with all of them. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go Lady and the Tramp. Uh, just Disney Plus's big offering when they opened it. Um, it's just a big ball of nothing. It's just cute dogs who then talk and then you just fall right down the uncanny valley. Uh, it's just really unsettling the whole time. It's the same thing we've seen with other Disney Plus things where it's just you've seen this story before and they it's live action now. So that's kind of it. I, I don't goodness. really know. It's just – it's there's no point. <laughs> <laughs> when I said four or five, I wasn't even thinking of Lady and the Tramp. I mean add another one on there. Oh, my God. Well, then I'm a dog the, person, by the way. They have a dog's <laughs> journey and a dog's way home. Uh, what is it? Uh, Secret Life Racing of Pets 2. Yeah, there's at least six. It's insane. Um, yeah, I actually made it through this year without watching any dog movies. Um, so I'm you. pretty proud of that. But I did see Detective Pikachu, which is kind of like a dog movie. Um, if the dog <laughs> could talk. Um, but Detective Pikachu is another one of those movies that I thought was very okay. Um like there, there wasn't really anything bad about it, but there wasn't really anything good about it either. Um, it's just kind of there. And I walked out and I was like, well, they had some cool ideas, uh, but it's, it's not really something I'm ever going to revisit or really think about again. So sorry, Pikachu, you're my worst dog of the year. <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll keep with the animal theme and we're going to talk about cats. Um, unfortunately, uh, this is... <laughs> As well as my avoidance of dog movies, I also haven't seen Cats yet. Um, I'm, I'm waiting uh, probably this weekend is when I'm going to finally bite the bullet and uh, go subject my brain to that. But I know you guys have both seen it, so I'll let you talk about your best and worst scenes in Cats. Um, go ahead, ahead Brennan. Okay, awesome. Uh, you know what? This is a film that I thought would be like kind of like so bad it's good, but I just didn't feel that. This was just so bad. It was boring even. The whole film is is just pretty much characters introducing themselves there's literally no plot movement until like the last 15 20 minutes and it's just weird to watch and there are some moments that are like so bizarre that you're entertained but like i thought this movie couldn't get weirder and then there's this one moment where judy dench breaks the fourth wall um <laughs> and it, it made me so uncomfortable because for the whole film i'm like oh this is weird haha ha, let's laugh at it but now i feel invaded she just breaks the fourth <laughs> wall in, in a way that uh I did not expect going into this film. It's not right. That movie, that, that part is just very unsettling and it's, it goes on for like seven minutes. Like I'm not even bullshitting. Like it's really long. And like the, basically like the totality of it is that cats are not dogs. And then that's it. But it's like Shakespeare. <laughs> it's, it's so weird. It's very, very strange. Colin, um, I'm excited that... you check it out. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my choice um, is maybe one that you've seen on Twitter. It's the cockroaches scene. Um, so after Re Rebel Wilson unzips her fur to show like a go-go dancer costume and more fur underneath it, um, there's just a parade of like humanoid cockroaches that are dancing <laughs> on a table uh, and underneath the table. And then she starts eating them. And then I didn't sleep for two days. Um, so that, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's that. Um, and then... I guess so I like so this movie is crazy and but like the one thing I like about it is like Ian McKellen knows what movie he's in you know like he's like doing like he's one of the few that's doing like weird cat shit where like he like the camera will just like go to him and he's like licking himself or something like that 
Um, so he like he he like aspires to like make this the shock the shock that it should have been. Um, so his song and like his performance is pretty good because he's just like hamming it up like crazy and it's like interesting and it's like one of the few ones that Tom Hooper like actually directs decently. Um, so yeah, that's mine for that. But yeah, this movie is just a lot and it's frustratingly boring. For after a while, I just I don't know. It's cats is something I still can't I still can't wrap my brain around it. And I don't think I ever will be able to. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm nervous um, <laughs> about my mental state exiting this movie, but I also feel like I need to see it just just for the experience. After that, <laughs> we, we can talk about it. Don't worry, we can talk about it. Cats Thunderpot? Yeah, Question I'm mark. Need some therapy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we'll move on to some other movies that might possibly uh make us need therapy and these are our biggest disappointments of the year so i know brennan and i kind of share one so i'll let you take that one away nick um yeah one so i guess two actually that were that screened at sundance earlier this year i think so the big thing about sundance is it's a little higher elevation it's cold out people are drinking like like there's definitely like sometimes you always hear like those crazy things that hit it at Sundance and then like you watch them and you're like, oh, yeah, they're fine. Um, it's kind of there's a bunch of those. Um, and so one that actually was getting a really good buzz at the festival was the um, Netflix's extremely little, uh, wicked, shockingly evil and vile or whatever. Shockingly violent evil. I don't know how to say it, um, but it's the it's the Zac Efron Ted Bundy movie. Um, it's just not good. That's just the easy, easiest way to describe it. Um, it's just very surface level. You don't really learn anything about Ted Bundy, or I don't really see the point in like doing this. Um, it's good casting, I think. I think Zac Efron's like a perfect uh, person for that role. But yeah, it's just pretty bad script. If you're going to watch anything Bundy from 2019, I would watch the Netflix um, conversations with a killer um, that have kind of Bundy's like just like his tapes from in prison. And they kind of like, it's like a really good mini series, and it's by the same director, weirdly enough. Um, but I would check that one out instead. Um, but I guess the other one um, is Velvet Buzzsaw, which is also Sundance Netflix movie. Um, it's just I get so excited for this thing because it was Jake Gyllenhaal going insane in a killer art movie uh, by um, Gil- by Dan Gilroy, um, who did Nightcrawler. I was like, oh, this is perfect. Like this is going to be the most insane thing of the year. And then you watch it, and it's just also totally fine. It doesn't really know exactly what it's going to be. Um, it's not really scary. It's not funny. Um, I think Jake Gyllenhaal is like the one saving grace because he just plays a pompous art critic the whole time, and it's really, really funny. Um, but other than that, like it, it's it's just nothing, and it's just, it could have been so much. It, it could have been like a cult classic if it was good, but it's just kind of nothing. So yeah, it's just a bummer. Yeah, I I agree with those two there. Um, I have one here. I. The, the big one but first i want to throw out godzilla i'm a huge fan of uh, obviously that kind of a property but the film obviously didn't land for me but there are moments in it i loved there are moments in it i hated and that's kind of a i can make a genre out of those movies this year i mean other ones i can touch on is glass there are moments i loved moments i hated but the big one is star wars episode 9 rise of skywalker huge disappointment i mean there were moments in there that i liked there were some things i enjoyed there were moments obviously a fanfare that i dug however for the most part the script is very bad and this is a big letdown of a film. I, I'm obviously not on the same page of uh, of where you two are at. I know you guys really despise this film. I, I just think it's okay. But um, it, it was a huge disappointment, especially when J.J. Abrams was saying how he was ready to take bold risks with this film. Um, I don't know. It's just a, just an awful screenplay. 
Yeah, um, Star Wars is my biggest disappointment of the year, too. Um, just the entire time I was in the theater, I just kept thinking back to Return of the Jedi, where the Emperor's, like, basking in the hate of Luke and Vader in that moment. And that was me the entire movie. Um, just sitting there, <laughs> like, seething with anger at just, like, how offensively stupid this movie was. Um, and it like it's weird because I think a lot of the comments that people were making about The Last Jedi weren't valid in The Last Jedi, but they're completely valid about this movie. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I think like this is the kind of movie that Scorsese warned us about. Like this is a movie that just kind of <laughs> doesn't do anything unique or inspired. It just kind of shows itself out to what it thinks the fans wants and delivers just a completely lackluster story that that doesn't deliver on anything that even the first movie that J.J. Abrams directed sets up and it's just like a whole bunch of like cut and pasted scenes that are just characters running from one side of the screen to the next and like yelling the name Ray. And <laughs> the only character who really has anything close to an arc that makes sense is Ben, but it's like the complete opposite of the arc that the first two movies set up. And it's just, it's a mess. It's disappointing. I've already written like 3,500 words about it. And <laughs> yeah, Star Wars just let me down, uh, especially having loved The Last Jedi so much. And overall, been pretty happy with what Disney's given us. Um, you know, say what you will about Solo. I think it was a very adequate movie. It's entertaining. Don't really have complaints. Um, but Star Wars Episode Nine is my least favorite of all 11 live action Star Wars movies. And unfortunately, I'm, I'm going to go give it another viewing here in a few days with a friend. <laughs> <laughs> see if I hate it any less, but I'm probably just going to stew in my anger for another couple of years till <laughs> the prodigal son, Ryan Johnson, returns with his trilogy and, and makes things right again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, so I, I'm not going to talk about Star Wars much longer because I, I can talk about this for another hour. Um, <laughs> so we'll move on to some of our final categories which uh, we're going to start with best and worst superhero or comic book movie. Um, so let's start with our best uh, superhero comic book movies, and then we'll work our way through the worst. So uh, Brennan, you want to take that one away? Yeah, I had Avengers Endgame as the best. I mean, I had a great time with a lot of them this year. Shazam was really good. It was fresh. It was it was fun. Uh, I did obviously say we will about Joker. I did enjoy the film. I think that Walking Phoenix uh, gives a great performance. I love the vibe of the film, the tone of the film. I think the screenplay is the weakest part of the movie, but I did find enjoyment in it. But I think Endgame obviously reigns supreme in my opinion of the comic book films this year. It's a it's a fun film. It's just everything you wanted it to be, and it served uh, its purpose for sure. And then, Nick, if you want to go with yours. Yeah, um, I really like Shazam, the more that I think about it. Um, I, I mean, we've talked about Joker. I don't like Joker. I think Endgame is just very satisfying. I don't think it quite works all the time, but it's it's just really fun. But I think Shazam is kind of great, and I kind of, as I've been stewing over it, I really appreciate just how earnest it is. Um, I know all that earnest doesn't quite work. I mean, it's, it's kind of rivals Vin Diesel in the amount of times it talks about family. Um, but, uh, I do really like it. I think it's really hilarious watching Zachary Levi just act as a 14 year old. It's, it's literally perfect. The, that casting, um, I just, I really like it. It's not very much. There's not a lot of stakes to it. It's just really goofy and fun. And I, it injects that, that Sam Raimi, uh, Spider-Man spirit into it, which I really appreciate. Yeah. And I'm going to go with Endgame for my best superhero movie. Uh, pretty obviously I've already talked about it a couple of times. Uh, but I think the 
bar that this movie had to cross to be satisfying to basically everyone uh, was pretty high and pretty impossible to meet that standard. And I think for the most part, Endgame delivered on everything it really needed to, gave us pretty satisfying and unlike Star Wars, logical ends to the story they'd set up. Um, and you really just see kind of the fruition of all the seeds they planted over the past 22 or 23 movies. And for me, Endgame just delivered on everything it needed to. And so with that, we will transition into our worst comic book superhero movies. Um, so I'm going to go with a movie that I kind of briefly mentioned as almost a guilty pleasure, uh, but that is Dark Phoenix. Uh, Dark Phoenix is probably the worst of the X-Men franchise, in my opinion, though that's not saying much because half of those movies could be the worst in that franchise. <laughs> but uh, Dark Phoenix is actually a movie I own on Blu-ray because I just felt so bad having been an X-Men fan since 2000 <laughs> that... It was a pity purchase, um, but kind of like you said, Brennan, I've got to complete the collection. But yeah, Dark Phoenix just is kind of like Endgame in, or kind of like uh, Rise of Skywalker in the sense that it's just like very hurriedly cut, cut together and none of the characters really do anything of any importance or that makes sense. And there's like aliens in there at some point and Gene murders Mystique with a stick. Um <laughs> There's a lot of bizarre, it's just really out of place things that happen in this movie. And none of it really comes together really well. And unfortunately, that's just like how the X-Men franchise has gone, especially this installment with, um, you know, allegations against Brian Singer and him stepping away and then bringing a producer, Simon Kinberg in um, and him royally screwing up the movie. Just like the last time they brought a producer in to replace Brian Singer with The Last Stand. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Dark Phoenix is my worst superhero movie this year. Um, moving into mine here, I mean, the thing is, I'm, I'm not a like I, I haven't been like greatly tied to the X Men franchise throughout my life, so I actually passed on Dark Phoenix. I was going to wait till it came out on uh, uh, on demand or something like that, and I'll probably check it out. I'll probably check it out still soon, but uh, I passed on it when it came out, so I never saw that. Hellboy just didn't find time for it. So the ones that I did see, I didn't really hate any of them. Uh, I thought Captain Marvel was okay, Shazam, Spider Man, Joker. I thought they were all fun and they had their moments. I liked Endgame, but I'm going to throw Glass in here. It's not a comic book film per se, but it is a superhero movie, or at least it tried to be, and that was kind of M Night Shyamalan's vision with this film. And obviously, as I said, I didn't hate this film. I thought it was okay. It's kind of in the vein of some of the other movies this year that I had moments in it that I hated, moments in it that I loved. I think that um, the first act of this film is really good. The characters are obviously great. James McAvoy just like acts his ass off again as he did in Split. But I think it really does go off the rails in the end, um, and it is messy at times. Um, but but that's the one I'll throw in there. It's kind of just a throw in because I didn't kind of find one I hated because I skipped out on the stinkers. Yeah, Glass is a good one. Uh, I actually wrote like a pretty glowing review of it when I saw it back almost a year ago at this point. Um, I I liked it, and I I think Sh- uh, Shyamalan's like just like pure earnest like earnesty like really gets to me a lot. Um, I just I just really okay, I guess it overwhelmed me, and I liked it a lot more. And I've thought about it now, and it really doesn't make a whole ton of sense. And like either way, like no matter who who wins in the end of that movie, like it all like kind of ends up like the same thing happens um so it's it's just it's kind of half-baked and i've kind of like lessened in my like esteem of it ever since but uh my choice is hellboy um i i probably figured someone else was choosing dark phoenix so i went with hellboy um it's, it's not good we've been joking about it for just like months at this point and i finally got around to seeing it it's just it's just really profane and like kind of like in like a children's kind of way like it's it's 
so he like cuts off the head of like a big giant and then it falls to the ground like and like it farts and it burps it's just like and there's like cgi blood going everywhere it's just kind of annoying um and it's like doesn't really make sense as a movie like it's just kind of a bunch of like scenes cut together um and then the babiaga shows up for like five seconds and it's really creepy um but then it just kind of goes away and, that, and then that's it um and then the movie's over and then they cut Mila Jovovich into like 10 different pieces as the blood, like she's like the blood queen, like the, <laughs> and then the movie's over and that's kind of it. Um, so that's Hellboy. It's not good. <laughs> that's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to uh, echo that. Like, but it's, it's also one of those movies that like I'm oddly fascinated by just because of like how much bizarre things they did. And like, you can see where they're kind of trying to really expand on it, but none of it works. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. Absolutely. Um, so we'll move on to our final category, uh, which is the most okayest movie of the year. So this is a movie that's neither good or bad. It's a movie that's there. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, Brennan, I'll let you start with that one. Uh, the first one I have here is I'll go with Bombshell. I think Bombshell is a film that could have been more ambitious at times, but really all it is is just kind of a, a Hollywood look at a recent story kind of uh, in history and I think that you have some great talented people in this film that all do a good job you have just a fine story to follow it's, it's easy to follow it doesn't really challenge the viewer in many areas um, it, it's decently cookie cutter but it has it's kind of messy at times I think this is a good movie overall it, it's fine I mean it's in my most okay it's just because I I, I think it's just it's, it's just all right you know it's I watched it I didn't mind it it's not. There's not too much there for me to take away from it. I think it could have been more ambitious, but I throw bombshell in there. The other one is The Upside. Um, the Upside is a film, obviously, it did really good at the box office earlier this year. It had great legs, and I think it's a great crowd pleaser, and I think that's why it did so good at the box office. For me, I did enjoy this film. It is definitely, I think, the most okay movie of the year. I think that The Upside is neither good nor bad. You have some decent performances in there. I, I respect what Kevin Hart did in this film. Uh, Brian Cranston is good as always, but it is just like a completely fine movie do you guys remember stuber remember when that came out yeah man barely <laughs> um, well i'll get back to stuber in a second because i want to just briefly touch on the aeronauts which is a movie that i saw and five minutes later i had trouble recollecting what happened in it for a pod that brennan and i did <laughs> so i think that definitely qualifies in some way it's just it's a, just a bunch of stuffy british people saying oh you can't use a balloon and go far in the air and then Eddie Redmayne's like, of course I can. I'm British. Ha ha ha. And then the movie's over. And then they go high in the balloon and they almost die. And it's fine. It's all fine in the end. Um, and then that's it. Um, and then for, so I want to get the Stubers, my big one. Um, it's just, it's it's a movie. Um, I think Kumail and uh, Bautista are a really fun like duo. And I think a better script would have made this movie like really, really fun. Um, but it's just, it's just there. There's some moments. Uh, there's one really good moment where Kumail and Batista are fighting and Kumail just kind of yells at him. And it's like, it's okay to be sad sometimes. And there's like this weird, like, like kind of like, it does like toxic masculinity thing that they're like arguing about the whole time. <laughs> and it's kind of, it's, it's pretty funny. Um, but other than that, like they kind of just waste eco Uwes, who is the raid guy from the raid and all that. Um, it's just, 
it's just it's there um you won't hate it it's like the perfect cable movie where you, you can just put it on while you're doing laundry it's it's fine man you know what's funny i have kind of my list of every movie i've watched this year and i try my best to rank them from bottom to top and every time i see a new one i fit it in there i have stuber the upside and bombshell they're all th- three of them right side by side <laughs> they're all just okay <laughs> sometimes we say things that make sense on this podcast oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um for my okayest movie of the year i went with warner brothers um so i think <laughs> warner brothers had a very adequate year um they had you know joker which i i think it's kind of like what brennan said i think the script is the biggest flaw but i do think this is a very entertaining and an extremely watchable movie um like this is something that if it was on tv i'd probably watch it just because of it there are a lot of fun things they do in this movie and uh, probably not intentionally but it it works for me uh but then you have like it chapter two which i honestly can't remember much about other than like deflating balloon pennywise at the end and just really <laughs> really rubbery cgi when they try to de-age the kids and you had Shazam, which is I'm kind of going to disagree with Nick on there, which I thought was a, a very decent movie, but I just really didn't get anything from it. I had a lot of fun with Zachary Levi, but afterwards I was like, okay. Um, and then they also had like pretty low lows. So they had like the goldfinch and the kitchen, which you, nobody outside of this podcast probably remembers. Um, but they also did Detective Pikachu and Godzilla. And even though I really liked the Lego movie, the second part, I just didn't come away with it with as much adoration as I did the first one. And so uh, Warner Brothers had a very okay opinion in my year just because of all those things. <laughs> then they have just, and then they have Just Mercy coming out this week, which is apparently also okay. So there you go. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, lo- lots of okayness from the Warner Brothers uh, in 2019. And yeah, with that, that kind of wraps up our thoughts on the best of 2019, the worst of 2019, and everything in between. Uh, so we'll be back next week talking a little bit more about 1917 as that uh, really blows up and goes wide, as well as underwater and quite possibly cats if I get around to seeing that. Um, <laughs> so remember, as always, you can check us out online at moviebubblereviews.com. <laughs>